Welcome to Beyond the Call, brought to you by Start Church. We hope you enjoyed the upcoming podcast and hope this time is empowering, inspiring, and helpful as you pursue the dream God has put in your heart. The participants of this podcast are not attorneys, and this recording is not to be considered legal advice. Please contact your local attorney's office where needed. Enjoy today's podcast. Welcome to Beyond the Call, the podcast in which we talk about topics that help churches and ministries protect what God has called them to lead. In this episode, we invite you to listen in on our conversation with our special guest, Les McGowan. Les is the best-selling author of business leadership books, such as Predictable Success and The Synergist. After starting more than 40 companies in his own right, he's become a renowned advisor for CEOs and business leaders all around the world. However, in this podcast, we're going to take a look to see how his advice can be applied to church planners. We hope you enjoy our conversation and the wisdom that Les was generous enough to share. So, without further ado, let's jump in with our special guest, Les McGowan. I am, uh, I'm obviously super excited about having uh, Les McGowan on our podcast today. So, Les is the author of Predictable Success, and uh, it's one of those books that when every leader reads it, you sit back and you say, this is this is kind of the paradigm I needed to understand about where I am with my organization, for us, with our churches, as leaders. And uh, so we're so excited, Les, to have you on the podcast. And, it's an uh, absolute pleasure to be here, Nathan. Thank you for asking me. Absolutely. So tell me real quick, just to rewind the tape, what, tell us a bit about the journey. Uh, for those that haven't read the book, we're going to encourage them to get it. But tell us a bit about the journey. How did you write Predictable Success? Uh, that bit actually was the easiest part. <laughs> I did the actual writing in about three months, in fact, precisely three months uh, in 2008. And the reason it was easy is that it's my life's work. I've been um, uncovering predictable success really since the start of my career. And I say uncovering deliberately because, as we'll hear when we talk about it, um, this is a model of how organizations, including churches, grow that is just a reflection of what happens. It's not an academic study. You know, I tell people no interns were used or harmed in the making of the predictable success model. I started as a serial entrepreneur. I was actually originally a CPA, I mean, a long, long time ago, the British equivalent of CPA. Uh, but I took that qualification because I wanted to understand business. Uh, I became a serial entrepreneur. Before I was 35, I had launched, mostly with other people, uh, 42 businesses. Two of those failed which taught me a lot. Um, but you just don't, even if you're a dumb Irishman like me, you just don't do something that often and not see repeating patterns. And I began to see these um, over and over again, the same patterns repeat in all of these startups. And I had an idea right at the outset that what I saw was that with just one end of a holistic model that would track the growth and decline of organizations right. from start to finish. And I spent, you know, 40 years doing that. So when it came to uh, 2007, uh, someone very near and dear to me said, Les, either stop talking about this expletive book or write it. Wow. So yeah. I sat down and wrote it. And uh, I wrote it in about three months because all I was doing was editing my life's work. Yeah, that's amazing. So talk to me about what was your original intent? I, again, it's your life's work going together. If you could say, this is, this is what I was hoping people would get out of it when they read the book. What was the kind of overarching? 
kind of thought? Uh, the key thing is uh, essentially what you said in the intro, Nathan, and I have the privilege of just back from a two-day swing through Florida and Minneapolis where I had happened to me what happens over and over again, which is out of an audience of one case, 20 people in an organization, another a few hundred in a public uh, event, of having person after person come up to me and say, I, I thought you had a webcam in my office. Uh, and the reason, I mean, that's very gratifying for me, but the reason that's what I wanted people to feel is uh, I want folks to understand that when they're going through, uh, there are a couple of really critical stages in the growth of any organization, including your church, um, which we'll talk about shortly. I wanted people to recognize that even though it doesn't make it easier to deal with, this is not just me. I didn't just get dumb. I didn't become stupid six months ago. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm going through a stage um, that every organization goes yeah, through. That's and so great. that recognition then makes you feel, yeah. oh, okay, well, then yeah. I can, if, if, if this is what happens, then what's the next stage? Because I want to get there. And Absolutely. that's what the games people is a recognition that this isn't just some form of, you know, awful thing that's happened to you. It's a pattern that every organization. That's so good. Yeah. You know, less when I read it, it was, it normalized some of the things I call some books, handle books. They give you handle for what right. you're going through. And as I kind of read through it, I love that the principles really seem transferable. I know you're writing a lot to businesses. Um, but leadership principles are leadership principles, no matter where they're applied. And I found them as I walked through it through the lens of a church planner, they became very transferable. And what I'd love to do is walk through just a couple of the phases. I'll tell you how they kind of connect with our, our, our audience. And then maybe you can give us an insight into how they should navigate during the time. So the first time, obviously, is early struggle. And you say this, is that it feels like you're hacking through the jungle as you're keeping your newborn organization alive. And I thought, probably the best description of church planning I've ever seen. You know, you're just trying to get to that critical mass where we're going to make it. You're hacking through the woods, trying to just um, get to this. I call it early stage, by the way, about six months pre-launch to six months after launch. Like that's that whole touch and go. Is it going to make it? Uh, it's harder than you expect. And so in that season there, it, the early stage, how do you combat that? How do you how do you just keep swinging? What's what's what are you seeing that to people to get through that particular portion? There are two key principles uh, to get out of early struggle, and just to put this in a little bit of context, early struggle is the first of seven stages that every organization goes through. Four of those stages are highly problematic and existential. Uh, the organization, the church, the business, whatever it can be. This, this applies to any group of two or more people achieving common goals. These, these four stages, they're, they're all existential. And so this is the first one, sometimes called the startup phase. And you're quite right, it applies. Uh, 50% of, of all the work I do is in uh, uh, not-for-profit. Uh, wow. and, and of that, about 80% is faith-based um, yeah, sure. uh, organizations. So it's all directly applicable. And there are two key principles uh, to get um, out of that early struggle phase. Well, there are actually three. One of them is a mantra. There's only one strategy for a startup. And I don't care whether it's a church or a, a manufacturing business. There's only one strategy that works for a startup. Stop being one that's the only goal and yeah. what that means is two things one you've got to have a ruthless focus and i'm going to use business speak here deliberately i'm not going to soften it for our church yeah. audience you've got to find a profitable sustainable market right but that that makes 
a lot sure. of people in the church world just you know clench everything sure. that they can clench. Sure. But I'm not going to I'm not going to sweeten it because it's the way it is. Right. Now, you might want to talk about you know I'm having positive cash flow. You might want to talk about being able to fund our mission. I don't mind what the wording is. Yeah. And I know we're talking about people here, about a congregation. We're talking about having members. But right. the reality is you can't change the world if you go broke. Yeah, you know, right. you've got to get viable. So rule number one, ruthlessly focus. And I don't mean that in a mercenary uh, a negative sense. No, I get it. But prioritize find, finding uh, stability, viability. Yeah. And the second thing is this, and um, I don't really, I don't cover this aspect uh, in the first book at all. It's all in the second book, The Synergist. You've got to have someone I call the visionary on the team. In fact, a visionary has got to be the leader and a visionary is somebody yes. who's 30,000 foot uh, view of stuff, uh, risk taker, you know, wants to roll the dice and, and, and change the world. But the key thing, they've got a lot of characteristics that we'll talk about as we look at the other stages, but the key thing that they have in early struggle that's absolutely crucial is visionaries are incredibly resilient. You mm. knock them down, they get back up. You knock yeah. them down, they get back up. And you need that resilience that's that six months pre and six months post that you talked about, that's the crucible. But right. actually knowing, starting something and knowing you're out of early struggle, it typically is a three-year journey. It's wow. three years before you look around and you say, "Yeah, right, I'm definitely out of that. Yeah, Hooray. that's great. No, that's, a, that's great insight. Uh, so that sense of fortitude, I, I would 100% echo. We, that's the word we use a lot is. This is going to be harder than you expect. If you don't have rudimentary, fundamental fortitude, it's going to knock you down. You just won't Correct. be. It. You're, you're that clown that just keeps getting back up, you know, and just Correct. stay down. That's um, exactly right. Beautifully, it doesn't stay in early stage. So you keep hacking, you get yourself through, and you get to the stage of fun. And you say, uh, you've broken through the early struggle. You have cash, at least enough to take the pressure off and established a market and it's fun. Uh, you're now get to concentrate on the product and service and bringing it to the market. How we say this here is for church planners, you stop fighting to do ministry and you're actually doing it. Like you're actually yeah. helping the community. Your, your mission's going forward. You've got systems that are working. Uh, a big point for a lot of church planners is your name isn't no longer on all the list of duties. You know, I'm the, I'm the setup, the tear down, the preacher, the singer. You know, it, you know, it gets to this place right. where I'm actually doing some things. I'm kind of a thought leader in the community. Um, so a great question I, I have is, is it possible to lengthen that? Like, and that might not even be the goal because you're trying to get predictable success, but is there, is there characteristics that I need to have as a leader to lengthen that phase? Or oh, absolutely. And, it, and it's, it's actually a, it's a really insightful and crucial question. It's the number, uh, it's the first of a number of key decisions that I lead leaders to make. And there is an actual decision to be made as to whether you want to stay in fun and, or whether you do want to push through to predictable success because you don't have to. I see. Uh, the key distinction is in fun, you can always grow, but you can't scale. So think about a curve that's like an arc that tippers yeah. off over time. That's what you can do in fun. If you want to scale, if you want to get a J curve, yeah. For those of you that are listening, my hand is making a J-curve <laughs> motion. If you want to get that accelerated ability to scale, you've got to go to predictable success. But that's not mandatory. Mm. So uh, you take it in the uh, for-profit world. I, for example, made a decision some years back, about 17 years ago. I'm in fun and I'm staying here. I don't want to become McKinsey. McKinsey. I don't want to become Bain and Company. I don't want to become them. I've built 
massive organizations, I don't want to do it anymore. So I'm dedicated to being a boutique, you know, niche yeah. consultant working by myself and my dog blue and that's right. it. So I have committed to staying in fun. There's certain things that you've got to do. We'll talk about them in just a second or two, but if you want to scale, so for example, you want to get 17 campuses and have 40,000 people coming every weekend to your meetings, you have to push forward to predictable success. And we'll see what that employs in a minute, what that uh, involves in a minute or two. However, let's just sit uh, with your key question here about fun for a second. That lovely stage where uh, you put it really well in my mind in the church world, cause I've been there. I was a, a founding elder in a church in Belfast, and uh, I was actually uncovering a lot of predictable success while I, while I was working there. And, um, you know, you get to that point where you're not coming in on a Sunday morning with that horrible feeling in your stomach that says, will there be enough, literally be enough people here for this not to be embarrassing? Sure, yeah. You know, yeah. You know are there, and, and, and that means not counting on the people that I know because I've told them to be there. Sure, um, sure. You're well past that and you're actually delivering the ministry. If you want to just stay there and do that, yeah. then there's two things you've got to do. One of them you've got to do anyway, whether you're going to go to predictable success or not. And that is, as the visionary founder, your key... Uh, your secret sauce is starting things. It's your ability to see something and want it to start. But visionaries tend to have a high squirrel factor. You sure. know, they're yeah. doing something. Squirrel, they want to do yeah. the next thing and then the yeah, next sure. thing. Sure. So there are two, two things you're going to stand for. One is whether you're going to go to particular success or not. You've got to go find yourself a whole bunch of people that I call operators. And this yeah. tends to happen unconsciously anyway, visionaries find enablers. And I mean that in a positive sense. Yeah, I don't mean that in a negative yeah. sense. These are people I call operators. And an operator is a ruthless finisher. What they, they just do stuff. So yeah. operators don't want a blank sheet of paper. They don't want to um, brainstorm. They don't want to do any of that. They want to be told what to do right. and then left alone to do it. Yeah. And that's a fantastic combination. So you've got the much more communicative, maybe charismatic operator, uh, sorry, visionary type has the vision starts the church, you know, then wants to do the kids' ministry, wants to do the music ministry. Right. And we get a series of operators then who are put in place to make each of that happen. So that's the first thing you've got to do. You've got to find your operators. If you want to stay in fun, you then got to learn to say no. Mm. you got to learn to say no. Because if you keep saying yes to everything, you're going to get bigger and more complicated and bigger yeah. and more complicated. And you will eventually hit a stage, which we'll talk about in a minute, which I call whitewater. And at that point, everything changes, yeah. the rules change in a Absolutely. way that many uh, visionary leaders don't like. So we'll yeah. talk about uh, Whitewater in a minute or two. But if you're in fun, if you're leading your church and you're just having fun and you've got one campus, two campuses, I think you can probably do this up to two or three uh, separate physical locations. Then make sure you've got a bunch of good operators and trust them to do what you're doing really well and rinse and repeat and rinse and repeat. But you need to learn, if you want to stay in fun, I've got to say no to stuff all the time. Think about yeah. my consulting business. You know, people want me to go write this. People want me to go talk here. People want me to, and I would have to hire people to make this happen and that happen. I've got to keep saying no to yeah. stay where I am. So yeah. staying in fun means saying no. That's, that's great insight. I think that a lot of our audience, there's a certain portion that will do that. I think there's a lot of our audience that says, I want to get to predictable success. I want to make the biggest impact I can. So you stay in fun. I've seen this happen. Once you stay in fun, you actually start bearing fruit. You actually start doing significant things. And there's a complexity factor that hits what you call whitewater. You say it like this. The very success you reap in fun brings with it seeds of whitewater. Your organization becomes complex. 
and the key emphasis shifts once more from sales to profitability. Achieving sustainable, profitable growth requires you put into place consistent processes, policies, and systems. And I know as a church planner, what happens is growth brings challenges, right? Uh, all of a sudden, that the past, what used to be fun, isn't fun anymore. It's not that it's not working. It's just grown so complex that what got us here as a team is no longer going to sustain us here. This just familial, right. I know everybody, you know, I know everybody's dog's name. It doesn't work anymore. There's too many right. people. There's too many layers of departments. Um, let's talk about that because I think, again, that gave me great handles for where I was so many times in my church plants. Um, first thing I'd ask for you is, if somebody's going through fun, what are the signs they recognize that the water's starting to shift? There's, there's bubbles. There's, I'm headed towards something. We start to make mistakes. We start to screw stuff up. One of the things about fun uh, is that although we, you know, we make mistakes and they're bad days and uh, off events, by and large, it feels pretty much increasingly as you're longer and more and more time in fun. You feel that, you know, I can, I can pretty much almost take on anything. We say yes to ridiculous things and then we somehow deliver them. That's what fun is like. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if you've ever watched six-year-olds play flock, play soccer, but that's, that's what it's like. Yeah. It's basically flock ball. You know, yeah. all 22 players are just one big lump in the balls, balls yeah. and they all move around. <laughs> that's how we operate in fun. We make it up as we go along. Yeah. Uh, so, and we say outrageous, we, 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 we commit to outrageous things and we deliver on them. And what's really vital to understand, because this, is, this has probably the deepest impact in trying to get to predictable success than anything else, is that during the fun period, we build the myths and legends of the church. We do things that are outrageous and we succeed. Yeah. And people start to talk about them. Yeah. And then we mythologize them. And we start to um, burnish them as being examples of how to succeed because they worked and of right. course they worked they did work because they were it was the right way to grow the organization to right. grow the church and fun but then we hit the complex stage of whitewater where you know it just happens over time it's it's like boiling a pot of water you don't notice the point at which it just turns to the stage where as you say i don't know everybody's name anymore we're you know we're messing up and stuff we, we don't have things written down we don't have you know what in the business world is called standard operating practices sure. You know, we're, we're, it's like we come in every day and reinvent it, and, and, and it's not working for us anymore. Yeah. And here's the key thing that happens. We've had, until this point, highly successful uh, binary uh, leadership style, visionary and operator, with the visionary right. with the operators enabling. This is the point at which, for the first time, typically, we've got to bring into our executive leadership a third leadership style, and that's the person I call a processor. We've got to bring somebody in who's going to actually manage the systems and processes. Right. And that brings, uh, the, for, typically for the first time, a real sense of a culture clash. Mm. Because now we've got somebody who isn't thinking about, and I'm not, the phrase I'm not about to use, I don't mean it in an ethical sense. Up until this point, the visionary and operators, their only concern is doing the thing, doing the right thing. You know, what yeah. is it that we, you know, we believe God's asked us to do? Let's do it. Yeah. Just do it. It doesn't matter yeah. how we do it. Let's get it done. Yeah, now, yeah. for the first time, we've got a very important emphasis on doing the thing right. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's not an option anymore to make it up as we go along. Right. And so we find the visionary and operator struggle really, really hard with the transition from let's just say yes and somehow get there because there's a big endorphin rush comes with that yeah to saying well how's that working for you you know yeah. we'll keep getting pulled back 
to having to fix stuff that's broken. If we yeah. do that, we've got to have to put systems in place and adhere to them. And yeah. that's the transition through Whitewater and getting those visionary operator and processor styles meshing is what it's all about. People, you know, I, that's what I spend most of my time doing, helping leadership teams get through Whitewater. And pretty much every time I start working with them, folks think, Oh, this is going to be about, you know, systems and processes because obviously that is uh, yeah. there. That's the easy bit. The difficult bit is the four inches between the ears of the people who had years of success and fun yeah. because they're so hardwired. And, and, and everybody now starts talking about back in the day. Do you remember right. when? And they repeat yeah. the myths and legends. And yeah. folks start to say, you know, we're losing our identity. We're not who we used to be. You know, I remember when, you know, yeah, Pastor knew, knew my name. Now, I don't think he knows, you know, who the person is. And so there's a culture change that needs to happen yeah. and be embraced and understood and to say, yeah, that's where we're headed. And yeah. this might not be the right bus for you anymore. Yeah. And there's usually a separation happens during Whitewater where there's a group of people, they're usually the hard-charging operators, some of them from the um, early fun stage, need to say, this isn't for me, and no harm, no foul. I want to stay in fun. So often a church plant will have a church plant happen yeah. through the whitewater phase. Yeah, no, that that makes tons of sense. I think, I, again, I think one of the things I loved about reading the book was it gave an, an answer and handles that this is normal. Like, it feels like you're fun, everything's working, then all of a sudden it's not fun anymore. It feels, right. and you feel at first, I must be messing up as a leader. Like maybe, I, man, we're so good. How do we get to where things are a struggle? You're saying that's the natural result of your growth is complexity. You need to add right. a certain skill set to your team to be able to process through this. Um, talk to me about the leader. I know a lot of leaders who are in that place listen to podcasts because they're looking for some help. What needs to happen in the leader themselves during that particular time? They have to stop identifying themselves as the church to be really blunt. Yeah. Um, if you're somebody who's clinging to the title as founder, pastor, mm. or anything like that, that you know gives you an implicit 40 votes to everybody else's one or yeah. implies that somehow you're you know, closer to the soul of what the church is than other yeah. people, then fun is the right place for you to be. Because yeah. I'm not being judgmental about any of that. It. I get it. That sort of, uh, you know, genuinely pastoral sense of, you know, this is my family and I'm, yeah. I'm the head of the... There's not a darn thing wrong with that, but that's right. not scalable. Yeah. And that's fine. That's absolutely yeah. fine. Yeah. And just as it's tough for in the business world, it might seem like it's an awful lot easier. It's just as hard for founder owners in the business world to realize that if I want to scale this organization... I've got to stop turning up as the founder and start turning up as a CEO. Yeah, it's so good. That's, that's and so that's good. exactly the same in the church world. You don't have to do it. You right. can stay as the much beloved founder pastor yeah. and stay in fun. But if you want to scale, you've got to turn up. And, and the, the, there's a corollary with this, with this. You've got to turn your enablers into a leadership team. Mm. And th this is a much bigger deal in the uh, not-for-profit, cause-based, faith-based world than in the for-profit world. Yeah. The for-profit world, uh, this typically starts to happen earlier, and it's seen as much more natural and important. In the church world, this transition is often missed that folks who are in what might even be called a senior leadership team during the early stages of growth, they're not typically genuinely what we would call leaders. And I don't mean in a, that in a derogatory sense. Yeah, sure. They're typically enablers. They're there to do the thing. So right. this guy's the head of our 
music ministry. Uh, this woman, she's the head of our kids yeah. ministry. And that's what they do. Now you've got to begin to build a group of people who do all of that, but also have got what I call the enterprise commitment at heart. They're leaders of the church and they're sitting with near right. equality yeah. to the lead pastor. Yeah. Uh, and begin as a team of people to lead the church. And that right. move into genuine team leadership is often a bit of a stretch. Yeah. I've seen that happen. I was part of a church that was around 2000. It was the funnest thing ever. Everything worked. It had size. It had money. We doubled at, when we opened our building in 4,000, and it became complex. All of a right. sudden, you had to become a leader. You couldn't just have a department. You had to lead leaders now. Right. And... There was a lot of people that struggled to do that. And I can see why a lot of pastors go, I want to go back to fun. It was a lot sure. easier. Absolutely. That- and, yeah. and, and, you know, there's, not, there's no, nothing wrong with that. I mean, again, I come back to it. If I, if, if I was running a church, I'm in fun. Uh, you know, yeah. in my world, I'm staying in fun. And I'm yeah. happy and I love it. And it enables yeah. me to help other people, you know, get to and stay in predictable success. But do make the choice. The, the, the folks that, that, you know, I have the shortest but most impactful uh, involvement with, are those folks who I take them through to this stage and they say, okay, I got it. Now I understand it. I, I don't want to do this. Sure. I'm going to stay here. Thank you, Les. Bye. Yeah. You know, I hope we never have to talk again. Yeah. Because sure. I'm just going to go back and have fun. And there's, I get that's it. Great. Once you recognize that's what you want to do. Yeah. That's huge. So I think a lot of people get to whitewater. We're, we're normalizing it now, right? We're saying, here's what you got to do. There's things that have to happen in you. And then we get to the point for a lot of people as we want to get to predictable success. You say it like this. Here, uh, you can set and consistently achieve your goals and objectives with consistent, predictable degree of success. Unlike fun when you're growing, but you're not sure how and why. In predictable success, you know why you're successful, and you can use that information to sustain growth over the long term. And what happens is, you know, Everybody starts to find their lane. You did. You opened up. It's not just a one-man show anymore. You've got high-level leaders. You've pressed through the pain of Whitewater, if you will. Um, how do you know? Let's, let's say it this way. What are the practical things you start to see to say, I feel like I'm coming out of Whitewater? Is it a sense of feeling or is it practicality? It's both. Um, the feeling is that you're beginning to get your hands back on the controls. Um, Whitewater sometimes feels like somebody has put three uh, layers of oven mitts, oven gloves on your hands yeah, that you know, yeah, you've lost true. that sensitivity. It's not like you touch the dials. It's like nothing happens anymore. Yeah. You feel like you've lost control. That's and so true. as you come out of predictable success, and there's a, I mean, I'm making it sound like you just sort of drift through it. It's a, it's, it's a tough, dirty fingernail. It's typically at least 18 months, typically a three-year transition to, to do it. But once you've done it, you begin to realize, as Jeff Immelt said when he took over GE back in the day when GE was in predictable success, he said, when I put my foot on the gas pedal here, we go forward. And right. that's what predictable success is like. Um, I, I um, liken it uh, to this in, in fun. If you, if you want to think about growing your church as uh, making your way up a very tall skyscraper, um, organic growth, which is what I call the growth in fun, uh, sort of just natural, normal, early stage growth. It's like going up a flight of stairs at a time, you know, and if you're feeling particularly energetic, you, you, you know, you'll charge up three flights of stairs and the team will run after you. Yeah. But it drains resources. Uh, it's not, you know, instantly repeatable. You've got to stop. You've got to take a break. You've got to recover. Um, in predictable success, you walk over and press the elevator button. 
yeah and you hit the button to the 18th floor and you go up and it, whitewater what you're doing in whitewater however this is where the struggle is you're building the elevator you know your your church doesn't come equipped with that growth elevator it doesn't yeah. come equipped with it and it doesn't sort of magically appear you've got to decide to build it and part of getting through whitewater is prioritizing yes we we can't just you know when we have a bright idea charge up a flight of stairs because that just that just deprioritizes building this machine that's right. going to help us grow. And so you begin to feel a sense of control. Uh, roles become really clear. We do a lot of work on role definition. Um, vocabulary is really, really important. It's, an, it's a ridiculous thing to say this, but it's true. I've proved it over four, nearly four decades. Having shared vocabulary around what we're doing is enormously powerful. So you begin to understand clearly. You talk, no, that'll bring us back to Whitewater. Everybody understands what that means. Yeah, this will true. help us get to predictable success. Everybody understands that. And so the transition when you get to it feels like this. We had our fun times and we said yes to everything and it was fun. Then we had a period of time in Whitewater where it felt like there were just, every time we tried to go down the road, there were potholes and we were filling in potholes, filling in potholes. Filling. Now we've done that and I can see the way ahead. And here's the fascinating thing. We get back to having fun, but yeah. it's on top of scalable systems and processes. Yeah. So the having fun doesn't distract us anymore right. we, because we know that as a baseline, everything is aligned towards achieving our scalability goals. Yeah. And we get back to doing heroic things, you know, saying yes to stuff and, and, and making it happen. But we're doing it in a scalable, repeatable yeah. fashion. Wow. It seems like that's like significance. You've gone from just you having some success, but now you're really having a significant impact as what right. you're doing is reproducible. So, I mean, to put it in practical terms, you decide, okay, we're going to open a fifth campus. That's not a sort of, <gasps> you know, yeah. we did it twice before, but I'm not too sure yeah. how we did it. Yeah. It's like, yeah, yeah, well, I get that. Okay, where is it? And we'll, okay, we'll, be, we'll open in March uh, 2020. And I think by looking at the data that we have, we'll be viable by April 2021. Yeah. And where's the sixth? You know, we know how to do this. And yeah. it doesn't mean that everybody's become an automaton. You know, we still need to have the best people possible because we're still turning up on, you know, Thursdays, Fridays, Saturdays, Sundays, and ministering and delivering what we do. And yeah. we get back to be able to do stuff with real passion and enthusiasm and vigor because yeah. we know the platform will support us. And here's one of the things that happens in, in specifically in churches. In fun, we're incredibly evangelical and it just pours out of us um, yeah. because we don't have to worry about anything back here. One of the things that happens to the members and the congregation in Whitewater is they sense what's going on because you can't turn up and minister with that laser focus because there's so much stuff sure. that's bothering you that you've got to fix. Now we're in predictable success. We've got repeatable systems and processes. I get back to walking out there or walking into that group or visiting that family or going to that you know, home, yeah. whatever it is that my ministry is. And I'm fully focused because everything's running really, really yeah. well. Yeah, that's incredible. Uh, that, and that's where most of our listeners want to be is to get to that place. Um, so predictable success, that's where we want to sustain. We want to stay there. Um, you kind of give two paths, right? You can stay in the uh, predictable success. I do think you can probably cycle through, have some, Correct. okay, we go to 
we're going to have some more white water. We're going through a new level of complexity. Then you, but you do talk about the treadmill, you know, that we're it, staying at uh, predictable success. If you're not careful, it seems like it can devolve. You talk about the treadmill working for an organization at this stage and its development can feel like being on a treadmill, a lot of energy being expended, but there's little sense of forward momentum. I think right. for a lot of church planners, that looks like we're not the thought leader anymore. We're not the guys doing something innovative anymore. Our staff is kind of bored. We're spent a lot more time with complexity rather than actually executing the ministry. I found that a church can be very, very excellent, but no longer life-giving. They're just going through what they thought was success several years ago. Three songs, read a word, fourth song, kind of a thing. Like it's just this pattern. Uh, what are the telltale signs? So you've seen a lot of organizations. What are the telltale signs that somebody's transitioning from predictable success to treadmill? Uh, the, the key one is that the processor role becomes dominant. So That's good. in order to grow, the visionary role has got to be dominant, supported by the operators. Then the struggle in Whitewater is to get literal co-equality, not lip service co-equality, but genuine co-equality between vision, uh, process, and operation. So we need the visionary to, to you know give us the vision and renew it annually, daily, weekly, monthly. We need the operator to go just make it happen, put the yeah. chairs out and start the music. And we need the processor to make sure that it's repeatable, repeatable, yeah. repeatable. What happens that is uh, this, it's an understandable thing. Getting that, as we've already seen, getting that processor role in place is a painful process. There's usually, it takes at least two starts. Most organizations, and this applies to churches too, go up into whitewater, try to do this and fail. The processor role doesn't get uh, uh, any traction. And so we go back into fun and yeah. everybody's very relieved. And then we come back up and, oh, we'll hit whitewater again. So it usually takes a second time to learn the lessons of the first time. So we painfully get visionary operator processor and now we can scale. And we're, you know, fifth location, sixth location, we're growing, right. we're growing, we're growing. And subliminally, we do something that's natural, which is we think back to, well, what has suddenly got given us this great ability to scale? It was when we brought those processes and systems in. And so we put a little more in, and then we put a little more in. And eventually over time, again, it doesn't happen, uh, or typically doesn't happen overnight. Um, we realize that we don't have co-equality anymore. We're leading with process. And so yeah. checklists become more important than, you know, filling in the checklist is more important than the thing the checklist was there for. We're going through the motions. We're rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat, right. rinse and repeat. And the visionary role is being quashed. Now, this is uh, a, a one of the, this is the third of the crucial existential stages uh, for the uh, church. And, and here's the key problem. In treadmill, we can self-diagnose. In treadmill, we are aware. What that means is there'll be a challenge function internally. Somebody, hopefully more than one person, and it's typically the visionaries in the organization, in the church, will be saying, hold on a second, this is ridiculous. Yeah. Why does somebody have to fill in seven fields in an online form just before they come visit us? Right? Yeah. You know, why, why are we spending so much time making sure that we use the exact Pantone color of our blue and our logo yeah. when our, you know, our materials are horrible. Yeah. We've got to downplay the process role. Don't minimize it, but get it back to co-equality, not dominating, not running yeah. uh, uh, how we do stuff. If that happens, then it's sort of like taking your foot off the brake, you know, too much process yeah. is like putting your foot in the brake and we'll come back into predictable success. And that sort of sway, you know, we tap, tap into treadmill a little bit, come back. That is a natural thing. Yeah. The, the core thing, and I, and I want to uh, uh, 
ask your forbearance and, and take us into the next stage because the transition here is really important. The core thing is this, if the visionary doesn't get heard and we are con continuing to just rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat, what will happen is that visionary, those visionaries will leave. They'll either actually physically leave and when you think about it, it's this stage that most people who plant new churches have left from, right? So they're they were they there. moved on to something else. They, that, that whenever this church is now in Treadmill was started, it was yeah. started typically by somebody who left another church that was in Treadmill. Right, That's the reason right. they left. This, was, yeah. this is not, you know, so it's they're looking insane. around saying, you're kidding me? This is who we would become. So they either literally, you know, we see another series of church plants happen, or they just withdraw you know, this is a point often when the pastor becomes like Pastor Emeritus or, right. you know, goes onto the chair or hands yeah. or, you know, we call it succession, but it's really, I, you know, I'm, you kids, you can do all of this, you know, yeah. computer stuff. I, I'm, I'm out. And the vision leaves. When that happens, the church will fall into the last but one stage, which is a stage I call the big rut. Right. And the big rut looks from the outside and feels on the inside like everything's okay, but it isn't. We're right. just on a long, slow slide to irrelevance. We're going to die. Yeah. It just is a question of how long it's going to take. And, you know, I'm, I'm not here to, you know, point fingers anywhere, but you don't have to look too hard in some of the established denominations sure. to be able to walk into a building and just realize this is irrelevant and it's yeah. going to die. But, it can take generations. I mean, literally generations because you were in predictable success for a prolonged period of time. You know, you've got a, an asset base. You've got people who are very comfortable with this, yeah. who don't want it to change and who will support it for as long as they can. And it'll go on for forever and well, not forever and ever for a very long period of time. But here's the key thing. The reason I wanted to put these two things together, there's only one difference between treadmill, sort of natural stage that, you know, we embrace, or that, sorry, but not that we embrace, but we um, encounter, and the big rut, which is really the end. Yeah. Um, the, big, the only difference is the ability to self-diagnose. Yeah. What happens is if you stay in treadmill too long, you, lose, you become numb to it, you lose the ability to self-diagnose, and everybody likes it like this, yeah. you know? We like it like this. We don't want any change. You yeah. know, don't bring your big change ideas in here. We're, we're yeah. And so anybody who tries to change an organization, including a church in the big rut, the, the, the um, organ will be rejected by the body. Mm. You don't get to change it because yeah. it's bigger than you. Is, is there, what are the tough calls? Let's say you're in that situation and you know it, like it's comfortable, but I know this isn't who we're supposed to be. Are there tough uh, well, calls that have to be made? Uh, yeah, uh, I get asked by people quite a lot, um, you know, I think I'm in a church uh, uh, or in an organization, a business that's in the big rut, what do I do? If you're in the big rut, you got to leave. You're not going to change it. You, you know, try your best. Uh, you know, um, I've, uh, if you look at Harvard University's plant of mine years back, they've been in the big rut for over 100 years, but they've got $33 billion in near cash and yeah. a massive reputation. They're not going anywhere soon, but they are in the slide to irrelevance yeah. in the education field over generations. Now, um, a few years ago, uh, they'd sent in uh, really, really high-heading guys, essentially as the CEO of Harvard University. This guy had been a cabinet member uh, under Bill Clinton. The The organization spat him out. He, he was gone within nine months. Wow. Just, you know, the, the organization will win. The, the issue is this, if your church is in treadmill, 
then it's vital that you provide a challenge function because that's the only thing that will rescue you yeah. is you've got to stand up and say, we're over-processed. We need to reduce, not eradicate process. We can't just jump back to whitewater, sure. but we've got to reduce the degree to which we're making people jump through hoops. Yeah. You know, we can, yeah. we, and, and we, we've also got to reduce the degree to which we're not encouraging innovation. And that's probably on the uh, not-for-profit and the church side, that's the bit that I see. It's less a question in business. Um, it can be a question of tying everybody up in systems yeah. and processes. And, you know, you've got to fill in forms to do everything. That's yeah. less the issue. It's part of that in the church work, but it's more a, an attached issue, which is not using our V, our visionary side enough, not um, encouraging innovation, not encouraging new ways of doing stuff and not encouraging change. And so yeah. if you feel that you're there, you've got to help the organization, the church self-diagnose. Otherwise, it will slide into the big world. Have you seen it for then our last couple of minutes here? Have you... Have you seen, it would seem like the visionary might get there and have been so long on treadmill and it seems like, well, the processor is really the, the dominant person. It must take like a Herculean emotional ex, ex, you know, effort to say, no, no, guys, we got to get back to some of our roots, uh, get back to evangelism, get back to creativity, and then get back to prayer, not seven you know, steps to make every visitor hop through. Uh, it must seem, have you seen that be a difficult for a visionary who says, I know it where is. we are, I just don't know that I have the impetus to get us out? It is difficult, and it's more diff even more difficult in the church environment, uh, and you'll forgive me if this sounds glib, uh, because in the for-profit world, there's a more mercenary mindset that can come into play. I'm not saying it's there always, and that all businesses are mercenary, but at a point where it's the uh, continuation of this business, or letting two or three people go who have been yeah. here for a long time, but who are no longer helping us. They're yeah. actually hindering us by insisting on, you know, this overemphasis and process, then you can do that. And it's hard. It's really, really yeah. hard. But in the church world, we tend not to have those difficult conversations. Sure. We tend not to confront. And so if somebody's been there, you know, with maybe with two, three, four, five people who have been there a long time, you know, they got us, into predictable success put, through putting these systems and processes in place, but now they're really over-regimenting everything that we do yeah. and quashing uh, any attempt to innovate. Right. It's much less common, I find, um, that the pastoral team or the leadership team will sit down and say, look, I, I want to make this everything it can be for you. Yeah. But I think you, we need to help find you a role elsewhere. Yeah, uh, because that's what needs a to tough happen. call. Yeah, it, it is a tough call. Uh, and the other side of it, uh, we don't. I don't think we have time to to, to go into it on on, uh, on this podcast. It's well worth a a, a, um, a podcast all on its own. The church is a massive problem with succession planning. Massive yeah. problem with succession problem with planning. And this shows up in treadmill. In that, usually, what happens is we get to the point there. Where, again, if I may speak frankly, often the senior pastor is coming to the end of his or her time. I don't mean right at the very end, but they're in the final third, perhaps, of their sure. career. And there's an implicit assumption, often not always, an implicit assumption that there's a, you know, they're, they're, it's pretty clear, may not be spoken that much, but we know who's going to be the next senior pastor. Right, right. It's often a family member. Yeah. Let's be honest. Let's yeah. be blunt and call it what it is. 
that in a way that I don't have time to, to unpick it all here, that amplifies the treadmill effect. I see. Because one of the largest potential change agents, which is succession, yeah. which in business world almost always brings new vision, right. a whole new way of looking at stuff. You know, we bring a CEO in entirely from the outside. Yeah. That doesn't happen so much with the, with the church for understandable reasons. I'm not saying that that's a bad thing. It just amplifies our stay in treadmill. And, yeah. and I think if I was trying to help the church in just one way for the next five years, I'd keep drumming on, we've got to get better at succession planning. And it's got to be more meaningful than it being a family baton being handed on. Yeah. We, owe it, we owe it to our church members for that not to be the default assumption. Yeah, that's fantastic. Les, I tell you, your book is, is real. The model really is transferable. I think it's going to help a lot of uh, church planters and pastors really kind of understand the stages they are in. We're, we're so grateful you spent some time with us today. How can, pleasure, how can people get a hold of the resources? Or do you have anything that if there's churches out there say, well, I'd like some more of this or some more help to this, what would you suggest? Just go to predictablesuccess.com, all one word, predictablesuccess.com. Start clicking around. There's stuff there that, you know, you get in there and never get out. Uh, but um, uh, go to the website and uh, just contact me. If you, if you click on any of the contact us buttons and type something, I'm in fun. It'll come to me. It doesn't go to a department. Uh, Blue, my dog, who's here right beside me, he, he pre-reads a few of them uh, from time to time. But otherwise, I read all of them. That's great. Well, we, we are so grateful for your time and uh, we look forward to connecting again. Thanks, Nick. I appreciate it. Thanks, everybody. Thank you for listening to Beyond the Call, brought to you by Start Church. If you have any questions about what you've heard today, please give us a call at 844-641-5718 or visit our website at startchurch.com. We hope you'll join us for the next episode of Start Church Beyond the Call. Start Church has helped thousands of churches and ministries protect what God has given them to lead. Check out our website at startchurch.com or feel free to call at 844-641-5718. We would be honored to serve you.